Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We welcome you on this Memorial Day weekend. You know, a lot of people say, um, Happy Memorial Day. But that's not really the right sentiment for Memorial Day. And for you kids who don't know, Memorial Day is a weekend where we uh, honor and remember those who have fallen, um, the soldiers who've, who've died defending and protecting and liberating um, this country and others around the world. So it's not really a, a happy uh, memory, but it's a, a meaningful chance to honor and remember and, um, and pray for families who have had loss and pray for um, people who are suffering because of, uh, because of war and conflict. And so I just want to put that in people's mind. I've had people ask me, you know, well, what, what should I say to somebody who's um, a veteran or in active duty? You know, it's something like, hey, I'm thinking of you this Memorial Day weekend. Hey, I'm remembering you this Memorial Day weekend. Um, those sorts of things can go further than, you know, telling somebody, you know, enjoy, enjoy your, your weekend of, of you know, um, bittersweet and sorrowful memories. So, and that, that affects our community in particular. We have a lot of military uh, people and folks in our community. A lot of us have military backgrounds and have uh, people who are very meaningful to us who have been lost or injured. So let's just keep that in mind this, um, this weekend and try and keep the... Uh, the meaning is a little bit more than just the first fun day off holiday of the, uh, of the summer season. Let's pray, and then we'll get started in our, uh, in our message. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Son of the living God, and we are here only at your mercy and favor. And Lord Jesus, we... Uh, I just have this, this, this picture of your, your kingdom, and Lord, we are your people, as we're going to be learning today and discussing today, and you both reveal us and cover us. So, Father, we um, just pray that you will give us honest hearts today. We ask in Jesus' name that you will, um, that you'll give us hearts of, of listening and hearing that will set aside our, our self and look to you and hear from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I want to um, take a little bit of a, of a risk today because something that I, I want to be very aware of and that I'm frequently aware of and I want to make sure you also are aware of is why are, what are we doing here? Why are we here? It's not, for, it's not for me or because of me. It's for you. I'm not here because I have something to say. Far from it. Some of you guys are like, yeah, we know. We've heard your sermons. Um, I'm not here just because I have ideas or something. I mean, it's a lot of work to put sermons together. And, um, but it's, it's a great joy, and it's a joy because of you. Because you are the body. You are the people, you are the, 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 the house of God, and if that sounds strange, then hold on, we'll get to that later. You're His people, His people. You're what He's working with. You're what He's got. And there are others too, but in this little local immediate expression, that's, 
that he has you here for a reason. And some of you are more certain than others. Some of you don't know exactly where you fit or stand on that. And we'll, we'll talk about that some today too. But so then that begs the question, well, what am I doing here? Well, I'm, I'm just the guy that he said, hey, here's the thing to tell my people this morning. And I said, okay. So, and I'm doing the best I can. But so in other words, I want to make sure that you know that what we're doing here during this portion of, of church, whatever that means, and that's sermons unto itself, this is the part where you are hearing from your king, from his word, because he loves you and values you and because you're part of his household and his kingdom and you have work to do. And he's trying to keep everybody pointed the same direction, on the same page, not fighting amongst themselves, because how is his kingdom supposed to be effective in a world where there is an active and skilled and dangerous enemy if his own people aren't paying attention? So my role is just to remind you, hey, pay attention, remember the battle, remember what we're doing here, be encouraged, your king is going to win, and you want to be on that side. Thank you for that. So I'm going to take a risk. The risk is, I, because we're here for you and not for me, there's a, an extent to which I want to know where you're at. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to say, hey, let me know where you're at. Ask me some questions. And this isn't the same thing as see if you can, you know, stump the preacher. I mean, you can try if you want, and maybe you can. But what I mean is I want to know where you're at. And, and we'll give some more. I'm, I think the elder team's fine with this. We didn't discuss this. But we'll give some more chance. Like, you can always grab one of those cards from in front of you, write something down, drop in an offering box. We read that. If there's something you want to know or something you want to hear more on or something you want to hear from us on or something that's bothering you, let us know because how else are we supposed to know? Does that make sense? Now, we're covering some stuff. We have been covering stuff. We've been, you know, you, you know we kind of bring it when we get into Scripture because we're excited about the, the truth and the honesty and the reality of Scripture, but... I can stand up here and talk till I'm blue in the face, but if I don't know what the Lord's really doing in your heart or putting on your heart or what you really need from Him, then what are we supposed to do? So, this is a, a chance. I'm going to read through the passage just to give you a minute to collect your thoughts because it's not a passage that requires, you know, tr tr you don't have to be super tuned in because it's a little repetitive. But afterwards, I'm going to say, okay, where are you guys at with this Genesis study? And we'll take, you know, a couple of, couple of thoughts or questions. I, the other things we want to know from you are, what do you really wish we were addressing? What, would be, what, what do you feel like the, we as church leadership really need to help you out on that you're going, well, I, I don't know how this relates. I don't know what to do with this. And obviously, we can't cover all that in person here. But if you have stuff like that, you got to let us know. And, and we love that, by the way. I've had a lot of people... I know this study in Genesis has brought up a lot for people. It's brought up a lot of thoughts and kind of opened up new ideas. And for some people, that's very exciting. For other people, that's terrifying. And for some people, it's just upsetting and they don't like it. And, you know, we've had some of the whole spectrum and, and that's okay. 
that's okay. We go through that, prepping this ourselves. It's not like we walk into a new book already knowing it. Like, we've got to study it, wrestle it to the ground, so we're processing it along with you and then deciding what to bring or not bring. And it's, you know, it, there, there are decisions to be made there. And you have to recognize everybody here is different, but everybody here is on the same side. And we're all in the same family. And we're all serving the same king. Okay? All right, so let's read the passage. And then I, and then I just want, it's, it's, if there's something, great. If there's nothing, that's fine too. We'll move on. But I want to just give you a chance to tell me, like, where are you really at with this, uh, with this study that we're doing? And I partly say that because this week, in some ways, is a little bit of a breather before next week. Now, those of you who know the order of Genesis, and I'm up again next week, like, we got some stuff coming up next week, so we're going to take this week as a little bit of a step back, and it doesn't mean it's not meaningful. It is, but it's just next week is a little bit more of an ontological exercise in shock. Um, okay, Genesis chapter 5, and welcome to those of you who are online and, as I say, often in the future, because we have literally dozens of YouTube subscribers. Okay. <laughs> This is the book of the generations of Adam when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So we have this little summary here at the top of Genesis is very organized by um, narrative, genealogy, narrative, genealogy. And we're, we're, we're in between, we've got... Uh, Second half of four and all of chapter five is the genealogy divider portion. The Hebrew word for that is toledot, for those who hang on to those things. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. 
Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Okay, where are you guys at? How's Genesis going for you? <laughs> I get some, some thumbs up, but somebody let me, let me know. I want to know what... Um, what you want clarified or addressed or what hasn't made any sense or what is weird or what's just kind of tumbling around in your head and needs a place to settle. Um, where are you at? Because if, if you don't believe that we're here for you, then why would you listen to us? That's a fair question. Right? If you don't think that I'm interested in how you're doing and what this book of the Bible and what this Bible as a whole, as we've been going back and forth between the beginning and the end and the beginning and the end and just about every sermon and hitting all kinds of new and difficult things and having people say, yes, I feel like there's something going on here, how are you doing? And I know it's a weird um, place to put somebody on the spot, but Brother Lee will lead us and step up with something. What do you got? No, just, just give me something to work with here. Okay. <laughs> uh, verse 23. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. 365 years, is that a correlation to the amount of days we have in our calendar here? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, what is the days of Enoch being 365 years, are they making some poetic uh, address of our calendar year? Now, that's a, a great question because it's important to realize where we are in Scripture the difference between poetry and narrative. A lot of um, textual critics try to say that Genesis is poetry, and it's not. It's narrative. It is saying, here's what happened. It's not poetic. Now, you get these little bits of poetry that pop out from time to time. We had that last week uh, in uh, chapter four when the first Lamech wrote a little poem about murdering somebody, and um, that was poetry those little verses in there, but the rest of this is not. So is he making a poetic alliteration? I don't think so, and the reason why is because it seems that a year earlier, when you go back to all the ancient documents, and these ancient civilizations knew their stuff. They knew their astronomy, they knew the planets, they understood the sun, they knew stuff that we're still figuring out. When you look at the buildings and how they aligned things and the calendars and how extremely precise they were, most of them don't use a 365-day year. Most of them use a 360-day year. So the question is, did something change in there? I think there's a good argument to be made that something did. So it could be that there's some significance 365, but whereas our years, 365 and a quarter days, their calculations, which still bear out accurate today, were based at that time on a slightly different constant. So I don't think we should read too much into Enoch's being 365 years. That brings up another question. A lot of people say, well, I mean, guys, these lifespans are so long, and there are some people who say, these aren't years, these are months. 
They live 900 odd months here and there. And like, okay, well then you got to explain how some of these guys were begatting sons when according to your months thing, they're like nine years old. You know, so that doesn't work. These are years. These people lived a very long time. And you'll see as we go further on and get into uh, you know, the lifespans as you get into the Abrahamic period, the lifespans start to go down dramatically. And there's a whole lot of stuff that Brian Brown can tell you all about if you corner him afterwards on why that was and what was going on and what was happening or the hypotheses around what was making the lifespan so different. But they were very long at the beginning. Today, they're not so long. And that's something of a relief. Thank you, Brother Lee. Who else? What you got? Yeah. So with everybody living 750 to 900-something years old, what do they estimate the population of the Earth to be by the time of Noah? Yeah, it's a great question. If, with everybody, and I'm repeating it so the, uh, so the recording can pick it up. With everybody living 700, 900 years, how many people were on the Earth? It's... Um, it's tricky for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, the Earth's population was large and significant, enough so that when we get to, you can see how quickly it builds after the Ark. You know, we get Babel and cities coming up relatively fast after that. Because um, there's no reason their population would have grown any slower than our population grows, um, especially when they were bearing children in these hundreds of years kind of time frame. So it would have been a very significant population. The question, though, is, also, like, what else might have been on the earth at the time? So one of the things that came up when uh, we were talking about Cain and Abel is you get Cain, the first guy, first begotten guy, anyway, saying after he murdered Abel, I can't go out there. Whoever finds me is going to kill me. And you've got to ask the question, well, who's he worried about? So I think there's, um, there's something we need to keep in mind that we have only a very vague idea of what the pre-flood earth looked like and what was going on naturally and supernaturally, because I think there was a lot more, and we're going to see this next week, there was a lot of interaction between the supernatural and natural levels, too. So I think the population, you've got a human population, but there were other populations on the earth as well. As far as numbers, I've heard them all over the map. I mean, there's no reason why, especially this, I mean, we're talking a span of couple thousand years here, I mean, you could easily be in the millions and millions of people. There's no reason not to be at that point. I didn't put it up on the slide, but it's worth, um, it's worth going into. Just take the, the, the math here adds up. You can take these lifespans and just lay them out in a little bar chart, and you can see that Noah's born only very shortly after Adam dies. And, there, and, and uh, Seth was still alive when Noah was born, up until Noah was around age you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. And because he was a direct descendant, there's a good point to be made. I mean, it's possible that Seth held Noah in his arms at some point because this is the direct family line, which is crazy to think about because on one hand, you've got thousand-odd years of time, but on the other hand, it's super compressed because everybody overlaps except for Methuselah, who was the longest lived guy, but died before his dad because his dad was taken. It's a, it's a joke. It's, a, it's not a real funny joke. It's just, a, it's just a little riddle, a little riddle for you there. Okay. What else? Good stuff. What else do you guys have? Yes? So is Yeah, it's a good question. Um, he asked, is it some supernatural blessing that they had these very long lifespans, or is this just the way things were back then? And I think it's the way things were. I think it's because um, you get a lot of guys who lived a very long time, and some of them weren't so nice guys, like Tubal Cain and some of these others had, had some pretty bad reputations, especially as you look at the surrounding literature. 
I think, so when God created the heavens and earth, He didn't make it to be full of death. And what you have is this breaking away from God, and these people are moving away from Eden. And so, they're, but they're still close to those original creation bodies and, and genetic codes and circumstances, and, and you'll see the lifespan just get shorter and shorter as they move through. So I think they still have the remnants of the Garden of Eden active in them, and they lived a long time. And I think everybody lived a long time then. I don't think it was that God said, you, 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 and you get to live to 900 years, the rest you get your 70-odd years. You see, the, the lifespans were just long. Good question. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the question is, and it's a, it opens up a, a you know, there's probably PhDs done on this, and I haven't done one, but um, the you, you asked, is Jesus' ministry of miracles? Can you see a direct correlation with what was going on in the fall and what was lost? And the the thing I'll point to most directly is Jesus, as you've heard me say, was here on a twofold mission. He wanted a people of his very own. And he's redeeming those people. And he's also defeating evil. So there's, the, the, in fact, I have, um, uh, for those of you who homeschool or something like that, my, my brother-in-law who um, uh, founded uh, Headwaters Christian Resources, he's written an entire homeschooling and it's used in Christian schools curriculum called the Head Crusher series that, where you can take the entire Bible and take that theme of the head being crushed through the whole Bible because that's what Jesus was doing. He's fulfilling what God spoke in chapter 3, where he said, you're going to crush his head and he's going to bruise your heel. And, um, so, and Jesus is very deliberate in those things. And the more, and that's part of, part, guys, why we're pushing so hard as we go through this, for you to kind of try as best we can to put off our, our you know, um, postmodern American, Western evangelical um, mindset and say, what would an ancient Hebrew have understood when they were reading this? Because then what happens is a lot of this symbolic stuff starts to come out in high relief. And I'm going to show you a little bit of that today. This stuff starts to pop out where you go, oh, that's why he said that. Or, oh, that's what's going on there. As a brain teaser, when Jesus is talking with Matthew, I'm sorry, with Peter, he says, who do they say that I am? And Peter says, you know, you've heard the dialogue, and Peter says, you're the Christ, you know, the, the, the Messiah. And he says, yes, on this house, I, or uh, yes, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Well, there's some really cool stuff there. If you look at where they were, they're standing at a place where there's a giant rock that is supposed to be where the evil beings come out of the earth, in terms of the mythology there. And when I say mythology, I say that uh, not censoriously, because Jesus references it. So he's saying, hey, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell can't stand against it. He's talking about stuff that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 there. So yes, Jesus very directly spoke about these things, and his miracles were very specific, especially when you get to the, the demonic uh, activity that he put down, very much so. Yes? So, is that just kind of like where we're in the middle of the Middle Ages, like the new 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. It's actually quite profound. And I'm glad you asked it. So the question is, do, do I believe, and to some extent it doesn't matter what I personally believe, it's just what, what, what am I convicted of, it, that was this a, a, a revelation to Moses where he suddenly went, oh, I know where everybody came from, or did everybody know this along the way, and was Moses just writing it down when he penned it? I think it's much more of the latter, There's, because it's, you know, the, the, the traditions there and we know, I mean, there's writing and stuff that goes way, way back, and we get told, like, let's start here. Every one of us who's been through some sort of secular education, you get this ascent of man thing, where you get, like, the, the ape and the caveman and the Bronze Age man, and then, and then all the way up to, like, the dude in the business suit, right? Like, even if we reject Darwinian evolution, which I do, then, and I think there's a lot of good reasons for that, and I think evolution is really coming apart right now. I think, I think in our lifetimes we're going to see a lot of rejection of it as the, as the generations and science turn over, because it just doesn't stand up anymore. Um, even if you reject that, we have a very hard time shaking off this idea that every age is somehow more enlightened than the previous. So we think, like, we know so much more than these guys. You know, they, they had no idea. It was all chaotic. Let that go. That's, that's an American Western mindset that somehow we know more than everybody knew before us. It's just not true. Um, I think that, they, that, that, that this stuff was very well known because why wouldn't it be known if you have um, Adam and Seth still alive all the way down to Noah? I mean, who knows? I think there's a, in fact, there, there are traditions, written traditions that we find in the Dead Sea Scrolls that say Noah had that, some of this stuff written down on the ark. So, when Moses penned it, was Moses compiling fragments or compiling testimonies, or was he having direct revelation from God? And I think the answer is yes. Yes, because we know he had direct revelation from God. When you read Exodus, he spent a lot of one-on-one time with God, a lot of it. And we, don't, and we know that God was telling him things like the law and that Moses, you know, produced this stuff and God wanted it produced. But I don't think it was a, a shock in terms of some of this original stuff. I think a lot of this stuff was pretty well known. Because don't you think that, you know, Lamech and Noah would have been asking Seth and Enoch and these guys going, hey, what happened way back then? What's the deal with the ground? <laughs> you know, like, what, what, what's going on here? And, it, and there's no reason why they wouldn't have had a very strong understanding and tradition of what happened. And, and did, did God perhaps provide Noah or provide Moses more detail with that? Sure. Sure, why not? He does that all through Scripture. We see that just like he does at the end of the Bible with John. But does that mean that it was a total game changer? Not necessarily. Yes, Caleb? Why don't they mention Adam's daughters? That's a good question. It's, it's actually interesting in, um, in the uh, Cain and Abel one, then you do get a lot of emphasis on the wives and on, in, in, the, um, in uh, the second part of chapter four. And the other thing that it says in, uh, in the, and I don't want to like poke around here, but it says, um, 
in chapter 5, verse 4, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So what it's saying is these families were big. There were lots of sons and daughters. I don't want to get too weird on you, but if you, if you read the, the extra biblical context, you know, uh, Testament of Lamech, Testament of Noah, these sorts of things, again, they're not Scripture. They're just helpful to understand what the traditions were, what the thought processes were. When people had these very, very long lifespans, they didn't have these tight rules on, you know, where we all kind of marry somebody like plus or minus a certain number of years from our age. Didn't really matter when the, the childbearing overlap might have been 600 years in between. Like, there was, there was over-generational overlapping because everybody was there and healthy and strong for hundreds and hundreds of years at a time. And I'll leave it there so the kids aren't too disturbed, but we can, uh, we can get into more detail on some of that later. So, good question. Let's do one or two more, and then I'm going to uh, show you the genealogy. Yeah. So, if Abel was the first prophet that was tried before the big bang, so you have the prophet and then the Christ. Yeah, it's a really good question because Jesus does call Abel. He says, you, you have killed the prophets starting with Abel and then all the way down the line. And people go, wait, Abel was a prophet? It's a good question. The. I think it's just safe to say that Jesus knew things about Abel that we didn't know. Um, and there was, by the way, we don't, I often reference these old, you know, these other ancient texts. There isn't anything from Abel that we know of. But Jesus says the rising up of Cain against Abel was the same old thing that's been going on ever since. And he puts Abel in that category or he references him in the same sentence as he references prophets. Some people go a long way with that and say, okay, well, Abel, you know, we got to shift the definition of prophet. I, I just think Jesus was making a point. It doesn't, what, could Abel have been a prophet? Sure, maybe so. Um, but does that mean we have to rethink what prophetic ministry is because we don't have any context from there? Not necessarily. You know, we know uh, Anna in the New Testament was called a prophetess. Doesn't tell us what she said. So we don't have to rethink what prophetic ministry is. And prophetic ministry often gets very overly narrowly defined, but that's a separate rant. So, Okay, um, we want more of this, um, I'd, and maybe, you know, we're trying to figure out the best, maybe it's in a Sunday school context, but the more we hear from you and know kind of where you're at and what you're thinking about, like, we're here for you. We're, we're here for you to learn Scripture, and if I just come up and say, here, let me show you all the cool, you know, obscure, funny detail, you know, because I, I like, you know, I like the, the puzzles and the knowledge and the research and all that and say, hey, look at this, this, you know, reference, you got Lamech here and Lamech there and there's this cool t connection. You so what? <laughs> you know, like, to an, like, it's cool, but if you're not getting Scripture, and when I say getting Scripture, if you're not getting more of Jesus Christ in that, it's just me talking. And even I get tired of that sometimes. So um, the point is we want to know where you're at. Feel free to write stuff down. Feel free to drop it in the boxes. We want, you know, we, it's okay. It's, it's normal. You know, don't be upset if you sit through a sermon and there's some portions of it that go over your head. It's because what we always pray is that God will bring his word and convict you where you need to be convicted. And your heart's in a different spot than your heart. And your heart's in a different spot than her heart. And so when we come up here, what we're trusting is that the Holy Spirit is moving, that he's using whomever he's, he, whomever he's brought to bring the message for that day, and that he's doing the work in you. Because I can't do it. All I can do is bring what, what I've got and what God's given me. 
And then it's up to the Holy Spirit who's here and who's alive and who's active and who's working in you now to do in your heart for you to hear what you need to hear. And that's a really good way to come to church, say, Lord, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me? I'm here. Think of it as you've got, uh, you know, you've, you're, 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 you're sitting down, there's a, there's a throne room, and you've got a, a, a guy whose job it is to say, all right, here's, here's what we've got from the king today. And you're, all, you're the troops, and you're going to listen to hear what he says, and it's not, not everybody's going to get the same identical thing. But we're all on the same side, and we're all in the same kingdom, okay? Okay, so there's a little bit of a party trick that you can do with Genesis chapter 5, because I'm super fun at parties, and ancient genealogies are one of the best ways to make friends when you go to parties. Um, <laughs> this is actually something I have to give credit. This is uh, Chuck Missler. If you don't know his ministry, it's well worth knowing. He died a couple years ago. Um, really uh, wonderful man. Um, I won't eulogize him here, but uh, he's, he's really something. And he had a neat ministry, and he, was, he, he made this kind of mainstream because he had the resources and the background to be able to show and demonstrate and support what I'm going to show you today. If you, and, and it's based on the meaning of the names and the, and the very ancient Hebrew understanding of language. And it's even, I'm saying Hebrew, you know, what became the Hebrew language just predates the Hebrew language, and it predates the Tower of Babel. So what you have here is, if you look at this genealogy, and as uh, Dan mentioned last week, you get a lot of very, very similar names in chapter 4 and chapter 5. But you have two different lines. One's the legacy of Cain, and the other's the line of Seth. And they're different because one is, God's, is what God turns into his people, and the other is a line that gets largely wiped out in the flood. Maybe completely wiped out, but, you know, Shem, Ham, and Japheth's wives came from somewhere, and they may have had some of that uh, Canaan um, legacy in them. So here's what you need to know about the, the language. The language was deliberate, and there's a the way the Hebrew language, when you go back to the very ancient stuff, you won't get this if you just look at biblical Hebrew. You've got to get back further than that. The way the language worked was every, every sound had a meaning behind it, and the words were made up of the combinations of meanings. And there's charts and stuff I could put up here to show you that, but, um, you know, it, where we get alpha, beta, alphabet, they have aleph and bet were the first letters. And aleph was the, you know, because it's the first, it meant first, leader, strong. Bet meant home, house. And if you write them down, Aleph looks like a bull and Bet looks like a house. And, and they, that was the, the pictographic. So it was a, a very layered language. And if you look at this genealogy in that sense, there's something that comes out that's super cool. So you have Adam, first name in here. Adam means... Man, it just means folks, it's mankind, it's man, and man, and, and it's directly related to dirt, man taken from dirt. And then Seth, we know what Seth means because we're told at the birth of Seth, it means he's appointed. The name Seth means appointed. Now, some of these others, if you go look them up online, say in, on like, you know, babynames.com or whatever, you're going to get these nice westernized explanations of what they mean, but those are, that's extremely watered down from what it actually meant. Because at this time, when you're naming kids and you're naming your, your household names, you're naming people with names that have no history behind them. 
And there's a reason they kept coming up with the same thing, because it was based a lot on what they were going through and what the birth of this child marked in terms of this, some cases, this is like, this is the fifth male born on the planet ever. What are we going to name him? What are we going to call him? Well, they didn't think of names like we thought of them. They thought of like, well, what's going on? He marks this thing in humanity, in the history of humankind. So Enosh, the next name after Seth, means miserable, mortal, frail. Because Enosh was born when they're starting to realize, like, this stinks. <laughs> like, we're not in Eden anymore, and things are dying around us. So it means miserable. And I always, you know, think after hearing Chuck Missler teaching this, you always hear him say, like, can you imagine, like, picking baseball teams after school? Like, okay, miserable, you're on my team. And then the, and then the next guy, Keenan, means sorrow. You got sorrow and misery. Then you get this really cool name, Mahalalo. Mahalalo means blessed or praised God. It means the praised or blessed divine God. Then Jared, which uh, if you look to you know, the next column back, they have, uh, well, it's basically, so I'll skip that. It's, uh, it means shall come down or shall descend is uh, the meaning there. Enoch is commencement or teaching or to teach. And I'll just point out Enoch, by the way, is the midpoint between Adam and Abraham in the Bible, which is crazy because he's like the seventh guy in the Bible, but he's the midpoint between Adam and Abraham. And we talked when we went through 1st 2nd Samuel, you remember um, David was the midpoint between Abraham and Christ and the midpoint between Adam and us, interestingly. So Enoch means commencement or teaching, and the Methuselah, this is a fun one, means his death will bring Methuselah, it's a combination of letters. It means his death, at his death it comes, or at his death it will bring. Well, what, what's the point of that? Well, what they're recognizing is something's going to happen, guys. That's what, so the flood, when it happens, the flood was not a surprise to anybody who was paying attention because they all knew something was going to happen. And this goes all the way back to the traditions of Enoch. You read the book of Enoch. Um, he's traditionally known for having been very explicit that hey, bad stuff happened, which we're going to learn about next week in chapter 6, and something's going to come happen to take care of it. And Methuselah was actually named, his death will bring. And if you do the math in these, when it, it gets all the way into Noah's flood, it tells how old Noah was to the year when he died, and you see Methuselah died the year the flood comes. Some people say Methuselah died in the flood. I don't think so because his name means when he dies, it's going to happen. So Methuselah, the, law, the other neat thing about that is his name, it, he, that means he's the age of grace. Because from the moment he's born, what it says is judgment comes when he dies. And he's the longest life recorded in the Bible. It shows God's grace and his patience. He's got this long, long, long life. And Methuselah, who's the grandfather of Noah. And Enoch, who's the great, great grandfather of Noah. And then after Methuselah, we have Lamech, which means despairing. There's been two Lamechs. Really interesting if you look back at the previous Lamech who wrote the, the poem about um, how he, how he uh, you know, killed somebody. Second recorded death in Scripture was a murder, and so was the first. 
And what he says is, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then my, my revenge, Lamech's, is 77-fold. And I think God did something kind of funny, because then the, the Noah's um, father, Lamech, who was despairing, lived 777 years <laughs> after that. So you, he's like, Cain's got seven, I get 77. And God's like, no, oh, this Lamech gets 777. Because um, it's, it's very interesting to contrast those two Lamechs. Why were two people born and living at the same time, more or less, that were both named despairing? Do you think it's because people were despairing? Yeah, I think that's what was going on. And you get to, yeah, you get an Enosh and an Enoch, you get a Yared and you get a, uh, a Kenan, you get a, a Yabal, and a, I mean, you've got, you've got all these guys in here that have extremely similar names because they're marking their existence out by these names. And then the last one is relief, comfort, Noah. And when Noah's born, it says, this one shall bring us relief. And let me go back and remind you specifically what Lamech said. When Lamech had lived 182 years, I'm in verse 28 of chapter 5, 182 years, he fathered a son and called him Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. Remember, that comes back to chapter 3 that we read. So they knew, he knew, and this goes back to one of the earlier questions, he knew what had happened in Genesis chapter 3, probably because he knew Adam personally because Noah was born just shortly after Adam died, so Lamech overlapped with Adam for something like 130, 150 years. Um, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us rest, or shall bring us relief from the work and the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, so he died, and then Methuselah, actually, his father actually dies uh, straight, shortly afterward. 595 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years. Okay, so here's what's cool. You take those names, and you just put them in order based on the name meanings that we just discussed, and you get this following kind of story. Man is appointed to mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. It's super cool. And do you think that, as, you know, when you get people and kids, when you go to school and you have people say, oh, the Bible's not anything. It was just written by a bunch of dusty old Jewish scribes. Do you think a bunch of dusty old Jewish scribes would have put that in the first five chapters? Of the Bible? Absolutely not. They don't like that it's in there. It's upsetting because it says God has to come down and he's going to teach us. They like that because you get the law and it says, but then he's going to die and bring us relief. Let's have the worship team come on up. Um, there's a lot of that stuff in the Bible. I, and I'm not big on, oh, fine, hidden messages and all that, but no, it's just, it's just read what's really there and understand what people at the time would have been understanding in it, and it just takes doing homework. Jesus makes a statement. Somebody asked a good question earlier about something Jesus said about, because Jesus references Genesis all the time. And in John 5, 46, Jesus makes a really interesting statement, and he's talking to the Pharisees. He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Because Moses wrote this stuff, and Jesus is saying, yeah, that stuff in Genesis, he's talking about me, and they're going, you know, they're going, we got to kill this guy, because that's what they ultimately do. Um, on that note, <laughs> let's come back to... Uh, after we sing our first song, I'm going to come back and we're going to go to Hebrews when we get back because Hebrews writes about the rest. 
And when I say the rest, I mean, what do we really want from all this? What, what's going on there? Well, you've got God's people. Remember I said, you're God's people. This is God's household, his people. This is his house. The, the house that God built is that, that lineage we just read from Adam to Noah. This is his people. This is the line that he preserves. But they're all out of Eden, and they're east of Eden, and they're suffering, and they're dying in the wilderness. How many times in there does it say, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died? A lot. He died. I mean, they died. They're falling in the wilderness outside of Eden, waiting for rest. And that theme is repeated in Scripture, and it includes us. We're outside of Eden. We're falling in the wilderness, one by one, looking for rest and relief. And so after we sing this first song, I'll come back and explain to you from the writer of Hebrews how he ties all that together and shows us exactly where that rest is found and where it comes from. Let's worship together. Because what matters here is that at the end of that, after that uh, poem we got, man is appointed to mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring the despairing rest, we should see ourselves in that poem. We should see ourselves in that poem that God wrote over a couple thousand years worth of mankind. And we do. This is the same poem that he writes again with the people of, uh, of Israel as they wander in the desert, in the wilderness. In the wilderness, remember, if you go back a sermon or two, we talked about the wilderness being outside of Eden, what the devil is trying to turn the world into versus what God had commanded us to turn the world into and what he's going to ultimately restore in Revelation. Remember all that? We talked about that. If you don't, then go back and pull up that last sermon. So the, um, we're in the wilderness, and the writer of Hebrews who shall remain nameless because nobody knows, um, highlights this. And what I want you to do is just listen as I'm going to read what the writer of Hebrews says about rest. Because that's what we're looking for as we're in this wilderness, isn't it? We're looking for rest. Rest from the toil. Rest from the suffering. And that was the prophecy of Noah. And that rest came with a tremendous cleansing and a, and a lot of death that came in the flood. But I'm going to read just what the Hebrews author says, and I'm not going to provide a lot of commentary. I'm going to start partway through chapter 3 and listen to the common themes between what the author of Hebrews is saying and referencing both Genesis and the Israelites in the Exodus. And you're going to hear elements like God's people, God's house, belief, dust, wilderness, rest, death, rebellion, disobedience, wandering, deceit, sin, Today, a beginning and an end of a day, creation, Sabbath, nakedness, cleansing, worship, and the necessary word of God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and hope. What's necessary for salvation? Faith. He doesn't say what we do, he says what we believe. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness 
where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, and therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, and I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Sounds a little bit like that fall of mankind, doesn't it? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who rebelled? Was it not all who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we would see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundations of the world, for somewhere he has spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. So God's resting, and we're not because of unbelief. But he's saying you can through faith, uh, Hebrews 4, 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let me repeat that. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You can't tell me the Bible is just a collection of works. It's not. He just, this author of Hebrews just reached all the way back to the creation account 
and showed how through the creation account and through God's people wandering in the wilderness and through what Christ did on the cross, we're being drawn to rest, restored to what we lost in the original rebellion. And that it's in Christ. And Christ is the one who ushers us in. And that the only way we get there is belief. So kids, since you're in the room, if you ever want to know what God wants from you, he wants you to believe in Jesus. That's it. And if you go read that passage carefully, he says that we behave based on our belief. Because Jesus showed us the way. And he showed us what obedience is. And it starts with belief, starting with the word. Because if Eve had believed the word of God instead of the word of Satan, she wouldn't have fallen, would she? But instead, she listened to the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is deceiving. It is beguiling, and it will draw you in, and it'll lie and lie and lie. But Jesus is the truth. And if you see the wilderness around you, and if you see the people falling in the wilderness, and that wilderness is starting to feel awfully hot and dry and hungry, he's saying, there's rest. God rested. You can rest too. And that rest is in Christ. And we have that today. Now, what we don't have today that we will have in the future is the restoration of Eden when Christ returns. That's in the later chapters of Revelation that we've referenced. But today, you can have that rest in Christ. That's what the Bible says. That's why Noah was named rest, relief. So, I want to leave you with this. God's people, His house, crafted from a ground, since cursed, suffer and fall in the wilderness east of Eden, but we're offered rest through belief as sin is washed away in death from heaven and nakedness is covered by divine sacrifice. That's the stuff the whole Bible is talking about. And the Word of God, who is called Christ in John chapter 1, both shows us as naked and also covers us with sacrifice. But if you don't realize you're naked, you're not going to ask for the covering. Let's pray together and then continue to worship. Father in heaven, thank you for these people, these people of yours, your people, your house, your kingdom that you are building for whom you died and to whom you offer rest today. Thank you, Lord, that you acknowledge that we live in a wilderness. Thank you that, that in knowing you and knowing your word, we can have answers for why is the world so messed up? Why does it look the way it does? How could a loving God allow something like this? And you tell us how, and you tell us what you did about it and what you're going to continue to do. So, Lord, build your kingdom. Use us. Point us to you. And for all of those thirsty, weary, hungry travelers wandering in the wilderness, which is so much of the world, let us point them to the rest that is in Christ, Father. Thank you for showing us that in your word today. And Lord, give us the faith, the belief to believe what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.